0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Decret Assembly. I'm your host, Tyler, and today in the show, I have uh, my, ge- my co-host, Austin Williams, and we are joined by um, Open Bazaar's Brian Hoffman and Dr. Washington Sanchez. Uh, so before we get started, we're going to talk about a quick update going on with uh, Decret. So uh, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, the staking difficulty algorithm that we had, uh, update, that has uh, severely changed the amount of tickets in the pool and also um, is, is really making a big difference on being able to purchase tickets. So as you can see, what happened before, um, everybody would buy tickets during these low rounds, and it would uh, consequently drive the ticket price up uh, really high the next round. And then that would affect the next um, three rounds until we got a low ticket price. So you can see this yellow line. This is when everybody's buying tickets. And um, unfortunately, after that, <clears throat> the algorithm was just totally jacked and uh, high ticket price uh, prices would follow. So um, after our hard fork, we have now reached some stability. And we're actually seeing ticket prices and the number of tickets in the pool uh, shrink significantly. So uh, ticket prices are stabilizing, and you can see that we're seeing much more fair distribution between rounds on buying tickets. And Dave Collins shared this awesome image with me that shows uh, how many how many tickets we were seeing uh, between each round in the pool. And what we're seeing is um, we should actually be close to about 41. 1,000 tickets in the pool and we're actually reaching that sort of equilibrium so that's really awesome that this change uh, That we voted on and forked with is making a significant impact and should make it a lot easier for people to uh, participate in the staking process so without further ado I'm going to turn this off and Yeah, so <laughs> How's it going guys? Um Thanks to everybody that's on the show, we have 17 live viewers. Uh, please like, share, and comment on the show, tweet about it, let other people know that the show's going on. Um, and yeah, welcome to the show, guys. Uh, how's it going, Brian?
1: Good, good, good. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, I know that Washington and I don't ever decline a chance to, to babble on and on about what we're doing. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's awesome.
0: <laughs> and how's it going, Washington? How are you doing? How's Australia?
2: I'm good. Uh, Australia's uh, wonderful. <laughs> it's very convincing. Very far away from everything and everyone, <laughs> which is what yeah. it was just nice.
3: And how are you
0: doing today, Austin? How's California? Pretty
3: good, man. California's great. Beautiful weather as always. That's awesome. I'm
0: really jealous. It's hot as balls in the Midwest right now. Um, all right, so um, I guess we're going to get started with uh, with our questions. We took some community, uh, we did a community poll to gather some more questions before we got started with the interview today. Um, and I think Austin and I are just going to go back and forth and hammer these guys with some questions about uh, specifically OpenBazaar and OpenBazaar 2.0 coming up, and then we'll dive into some more questions regarding uh, the future of Bitcoin and, and their thoughts. So, uh, So I guess I will... I will start with uh, Brian Washington. Uh, you guys can feel free to answer at your leisure. But uh, so, how did each of you guys get involved in uh, Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency in the space on the in the early years?
1: Um, uh, Washington, you want to go ahead?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I don't remember the exact date. I I got into like what year exactly? Um, I think the earliest I tweeted about it was in 2011, but I think I'd heard about it in maybe 2010. I was watching a bunch of YouTube videos on gold and Austrian economics, and then I came across Bitcoin, and I don't remember whether it was Gavin or Mike or possibly even Amir who was giving a presentation on it and said, "Oh, we have Bitcoin and we have a fixed 21 million supply cap." And I'm like, "Bull crap, that will never work." <laughs> and I just <laughs> I just moved on. I'm like, "I'm sorry, you cannot have digital scarcity." Mm-hmm. You know, good luck. This is funny. Uh and then uh it it was kind of niggling in my in the back of my head and and then I finally you know, took a good like took a look at took a look at the white paper and was like, "Huh." This is actually pretty cool. This is like the, the white paper was most importantly only nine pages long or however many pages it was. And it was like accessible, uh, understandable, unlike many of the white papers that are mm-hmm. <laughs> out today. Um, but, but most importantly, it just made like a great deal of sense. And, and I kind of became interested. And then I remember when the, the price of Bitcoin was just like a few cents. I'm like, oh wow, man! it would be amazing one day if it ever hit parity with the US dollar, and then yeah. it hit parity with the US dollar. I'm like, oh wow, and then it hit <laughs> 30 bucks, and, and that's the worst crash. And I've been following it on ever since. And uh, you know, of course, you know, I was a spectator, not an early Ooh. buyer, like an idiot. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I missed the boat there. But uh, I've I've always thought that that you know, Bitcoin was was just Fantastic. What a, what a wonderful idea. And um, and it would definitely, it was a nice change from, yeah you know, believing in a lot of, you know, economic theories that unfortunately nobody will take seriously or, or implement in terms of government policy. And then you have something here that is just kind of transcendent to that, just bypasses it completely. And uh, so, yeah.
0: Awesome. And uh, what about you, Brian?
1: Yeah, I... Um I don't, I don't really have like an economic background or anything. I'm, um, You know, it's my background has been mostly computer science and, and just it in general, but uh, you know, I think when, let's see, when Bitcoin came out, uh, I was working on projects, mostly doing like public key infrastructure implementations and like um, identity management stuff. So like helping uh, government agencies, like integrate their uh, two factor auth and like, you know smart cards and retina scanners and all this stuff into their security infrastructure but um you know i just being in that space you know we often heard and talked about bitcoin you know because this concept of having a complete pki infrastructure like where nobody really kind of maintains that like there's no escrow database where like oh i lost my key how do i get it back which would happen you know people lose their smart card or you know the government can like pull that bad boy out of escrow and reissue the smart card and you get back access to your email and all that but imagine like if you're the president and you got access and you lose your smart card and all of his emails are gone forever it's like that, that can't happen um but in bitcoin obviously you can even torture your your key and lose all of your money for for all of time so it's it, it does seem like uh like what washington was saying it's like some of this stuff just sounds ridiculous like it doesn't work um conceptually when you think about it at first but then when you start to research it and look at it and you're seeing it actually work in practice Um, that that's what's so fascinating and i think that's really what drew me to trying to figure out a way to work on some kind of project is that you know i'm not like personally i don't do a lot of deep mind you know research kind of Conceptual work like I don't sit in my office and and like think about things and write it down on paper and do all that I like I'm much more of like a hands-on. Let's like let's get this to the people. Let's use it Let's show how this can work and change things Um, and you know, I think that's probably naturally why uh, Washington and I um, worked so well together early on is because I think he was able to take the you know the patience and the the diligence uh, to to like really think through stuff, and I was really great at the execution part, and we kind of put that together. And like, each of our halves of a man equaled like one half, like one <laughs> whole man. So, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Washington disagrees. Maybe it's like a man and a half. They're like he's the man, and I'm half a man. But like, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's um, a lot of these projects. Like they only work because the right ingredients come together at the right time, right? And so it's the same with people, I think, in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, so I was super fascinated in it from a technical standpoint. And you I know, just always followed it. I guess that was probably maybe late 2011, early 2012, where I really started like looking at it seriously. But um was kind of aware of it early on, so.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I can already see the the memes. Of half Brian, half Lasso. It's
1: Like I'll be like yeah. the ass end of it, and he'll be like the, the horse head. <laughs> yeah. Um, so awesome.
0: <laughs> well, um, thanks for that intro, guys. Uh, so you know, you you guys work on this really awesome project called Open Bazaar, which um, I've I've just absolutely been in love with since uh, for a long time, even before uh, I think you Open Bazaar even formed. This, this idea was kind of being passed around and. Um you know, can, can you guys tell me a little bit about uh, what open Bazaar is and what you guys are kind of aiming to do?
1: Sure. Um, you know open Bazaar at its heart is a uh, decentralized peer-to-peer marketplace and it uses Bitcoin as the uh, the key component for the currency, um, which allows you know with the combination of those technologies, peer-to-peer networking, distributed storage, cryptocurrency it allows you to remove the middleman from uh marketplaces like ebay or amazon um obviously there's a lot more to it but you know generally that's that's what it is um and so you know we take advantage of uh concepts like multi-signature transactions so that uh, we can protect our users when they're they're making purchases um and you know we just have been working on it for the last three years like evolving and and creating what is now open bazaar um it started out as dark market which was just like a proof of concept but you know fundamentally it's just you know it's more of an evolution to improve it and like make it more trustworthy and and something that could eventually perhaps supersede some of these marketplaces that we we think are treating a lot of people unfairly or or creating these like natural monopolies so uh, I don't know, Washington, if you have anything to add to that.
2: No, I think that that's pretty much spot on. I think uh, maybe the only thing I'd add is that Open Bazaar is actually the the nexus of lots of different pieces coming together. Um, you know, you have obviously the decentralized money bit, the reputation side, the distributed storage. It's like, it's not one thing; it's like multiple things that need to come together kind of perfectly in order to, to make it work. So yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, so, I mean, so you guys launched what almost two, like a year and a half ago. Is that, is that right? Two years ago.
1: Yeah. So like the way that it worked is, is there kind of just technically like four versions. There was dark market came out, which they, they dropped on GitHub, which was basically like this, like very like lightweight, Python code it was like only a couple thousand lines of code barely worked. Mm-hmm. Just kind of Could you could sell something to somebody and like pay and that was about it? Um, and chat with them and then What after we forked it and made it open bizarre it became this kind of like Frankenstein thing where we tried to fix What was in the proof of concept and turn it into something production ready? So we spent about a year doing that um, Towards the end of that year was when we got uh, the funding to, to start the company and we kind of basically started rewriting it from scratch. And so that's kind of what you, that's what we worked on and that's what had, came out in April, 2016 and is what you can download right now from the website. That's 1.0. Um, so it's kind of like the third version technically, but it's the real, it's the first real legit version that we felt was feature complete or at the time. Um, and then now the last year or so we've been working on 2.0, which is uh, hopefully gonna come out soon, so. awesome.
0: Yeah, we we have lots of questions about 2.0, but um, I, one question that kind of um, I'm thinking of right now is, so so you talked about you guys got funding, uh, I guess in the past like two or three years, and can you talk about some of the people who are backing the project? And because I, I know uh, Mark Andreessen is one of those, and I was, you know if you could talk a little bit about um, you know why they decided to back such a you know a decentralized project like Open Bazaar.
1: Um, I think, uh, I guess it was probably like around October or November of 2014. Uh, I don't know, Washington, maybe you can correct me on the dates, but like, um, it was around that time where the project had had been going for about six or seven months and it was like starting to get a lot of momentum. I mean, we were like dominating our Bitcoin whenever we would just say anything and like people were really contributing (laughs) to it a lot. And things were like the Twitter account was getting like unmanageable and we were just like, I, I don't know about you, but i I mean I literally can't go to work, come home, feed my kids, put them to sleep, and then work on this till three a m every night like it's just insane yeah, and without that, that kind of workload, it was like two jobs full time jobs and um you know and and Washington's wife was pregnant at the time, I believe um you know and and so oh, we just had a baby oh yeah, yeah you just had a baby so it was like oh. just, it was crazy for everybody um
2: actually, my daughter was born the day dark market was released, oh that's right, yeah. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> right before we all started everything, and yeah. and so it was just insane. Um, and we just got together and we were like, "Look, this seems like it has legs, but like we can't keep going. Like it's it's just going to be like really. It's either going to be really shitty because we don't have the time to work on it, or 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 you know we need to like be serious. And so we decided like we were going to try and do it full time. But um, at the time there were no ICOs, so we couldn't like be like, oh, it's easy. let's raise thirty million dollars. Right like, do it, you know? why not? Let's do it." Um, I think at the time, we kind of had guesstimated that we'd probably only be able to raise, even with all the excitement around it, probably like around $50,000. And we were like, that's just not enough to, to take some people full time and work on it. And, uh, and so the only other real viable option was either to take angel investment or like uh, VC investment. So I basically just started poking around. And um, Washington sent me this article that Union Square Ventures wrote. Uh, Joel Monegro, who, who was previously an associate over there, had written an article about uh, dark markets and how they're like pioneering these interesting new technologies like they were like hedging markets to to Get away from volatility of Bitcoin. They were doing escrow. They were you know, it was uncensorable It was on tour. It was like all the it was it was crazy Like they were doing all these things that like nobody else would even touch and it was working I mean they were doing like tens of millions of dollars of transactions and so um, They wrote this article about how like maybe this these capabilities are going to make it into mainstream and like really disrupt uh traditional marketplaces and it was like perfectly matched up with what we were doing and so i reached out to them and i was like hey um i know you'd never be interested in this like silk road you can't shut down with bitcoin but like you, you guys are talking about it and you think it's interesting so can you give us some advice on like how we might get investment on this or like who we should talk to and um i think we did a skype call with joel it was like a pretty short. Well, it was like about an hour call, and, and like we explained mm. everything we were doing, and he was like, "This is so awesome. This is amazing." But yeah, we would never invest in this, and like, <laughs> and, uh, and we we're like, "Okay, great, thank you." Uh, and they were like, you know, they kind of did the whole like, um, "Like I wouldn't date you, but I have some friends that might date you." So like, uh, uh, they're like, "We could." And raise in it, though. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but this is before that, right? So, so we're like. We got off the call and we we're like okay well at least we think it might be viable to some investor um but like later that night like i don't know it was probably almost 2 a.m joel uh dm'd me on twitter and was like come to new york and and talk with us and so um we we basically got on a train and, and zipped up to new york and at the time washington couldn't come because he's in australia obviously and we didn't have the money to send him but he like skyped in so it's like we're in usb's office and here's Fred Wilson. And here's like, you know, Washington on the same screen. It's like, what's going on here? Um, But (laughs) 4 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he had to get get up at like 4 a.m. and do this call. Um, But yeah, I mean, ultimately, they decided to invest in us. And and the way we got Andreessen was um, they were both on the board of Coinbase. And like, I guess Fred Wilson was like talking about how they were going to invest in us. And and Chris Dixon was like, whoa, oh, I want him on that. And, uh, and so they called us and they were like, do you want Andreessen to invest with you? And we're like, uh, okay. yes. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Fair enough. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. so that was pretty much it. I mean, there was really not much more to it than that. Um, they, they already kind of believed in the vision of what we were doing, and that helped a lot. And uh, yeah, they've been great investment partners so far. And we completely realized that this story is very unusual.
2: This is not the norm. You know, usually you have to go shop around, you know, dozens and dozens, if not like a hundred VCs and, you know, build your, your raise piecemeal at a time. And, and this was just like, you know, unbelievable what, what had happened. So,
0: well, I, you know, I'm sure like everybody, I mean, I'm sure for them, they were like, this just makes a lot of sense.
2: Um, so. Yeah, I th- I think for the the motivations, USV have often said that they've been very interested in disintermediating. You know these centralized companies Middlemen. that have kind yeah that that have just established themselves and started extracting value from the very people that built the network effects that that um, mm-hmm. that they're taking advantage of. And I think for for Andreessen, they were you know they they've they've often said that you know they they desired a currency for the internet and a marketplace for the internet to go with it just makes sense so um
3: i I think they 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 both see it from two different points of view so yeah i i don't it's interesting because i I, it seems to me like they they don't see a direct financial gain coming from ob or or ob1 itself but rather from the effects it's going to have on the overall uh ecosystem i mean i
1: think I think over the last, you know, two years, we've had them as an investor, Um, you know, obviously their perspective on the whole market has changed. I mean, they spent almost a whole year not really investing in any crypto companies kind of watching and observing. And I think they've started to form this thesis around. ICOs and and not necessarily just the ICO process but this idea that like a token could incentivize uh, network effects. Yes. And uh, I mean they really believe in network effects and I think they're right to assume that like the existing projects, I mean Open Bazaar included, have not really like st- like done any barnstorming in terms of like gathering users onto decentralized networks. Like mm-hmm. can you name a really successful decentralized network that has like millions of users right now. No, the most popular businesses on Bitcoin are like Coinbase, BitPay. They're all still kind of like centralized yeah. uh, Bitcoin utilities and, uh, you know, and in marketplaces, I, I think personally, my opinion is that it's still really early, like mm-hmm. an open bazaar or like a bisque or like a, you know, whatever Shapeshift is doing with them uh, with their new decentralized marketplace or whatever, or like any of these other or, or yours, those guys are going to need, several years to kind of perfect this and get people on board, um, yeah. it's new technology. And so I, I still think it's early to kind of write that off. I think a lot of people are saying, oh, tokens are the easy way to do this. Like yeah. if we get people excited about tokens and they're willing to put tens of millions of dollars in this, that's exactly how we incentivize people. Mm-hmm. But my, my issue is that it's so decoupled from, like the success of a token is very decoupled from this from this, the success of a network, at least what I'm seeing right now. Mm-hmm. I haven't really seen the example where The token made the network like better, except for Bitcoin itself. Right. Like literally, except for Bitcoin itself. Um, It's not to say it won't happen, but um, you know, I think the next few years will be really, really interesting to see like what really succeeds. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know. I definitely have my opinions on ICOs. Um, I'm. I am, uh, I'm not a fan of what's going on right now. And uh, it just, you know, all of them are just a get rich quick kind of scheme. Um, A lot of people aren't contributing value. And and one of the things that I think is going to be the most interesting about ICOs is is like these startups that should have died like years ago, they're just going to, they're just going to live on. Like, like, and people are going to, you know, buy their stupid tokens when they're, when they're, you know, not worth anything. And then they're going to come in and, have some sort of revamp and then pump the price back up. And then like, it's going to be this never ending cycle of like shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with scams, right? Like they never die. They just kind of reinvent themselves. And it, you know, it's like the same kind of like, you see these like MLM stuff and like, you know, it all, it it just keeps getting recycled. Right. And it's the same thing. So for us, we're keeping our heads down. We're working on things that we think are valuable and we're not getting distracted by that. You know, would we like to drive Ferraris and like tell our users that we're working really hard when we're not? I mean, sometimes (laughs) that sounds like an interesting option, (laughs) but, um, you know, personally, I get a lot more value from like really working hard within the community. And I know we take a lot of shit for having perspectives on on Bitcoin in certain ways, and we'll probably talk about that later. But like, um, you know, we're just trying to do what we think is best and, and, and kind of ignoring the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Speaking yeah. of which, we'd, uh, we'd like to announce the Open Bazaar token.
1: Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for inviting us. We didn't let you know this, but, but. <laughs> well,
3: I
0: mean, I mean, have you got like, have you guys like thought like, you know, recently, like maybe maybe we should do a token. I mean, has it been something that's kind of really crossed your minds? And I mean, just seeing all the other projects and what they're doing, like I feel like your your project at least has value. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people in this space that would probably just invest in your project because they really believe in the idea behind open Bazaar, whether or not the token's going to make money or not.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a, it's, Oh, go ahead, Austin. I was going to say, they, if they wanted to, to do that, they could just give you money directly. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, that's but, you but know, then that's, that's, you don't get a token that like you can
3: pump the price, right?
1: <laughs> but it, yeah, that's that's why it's that's why you have nothing to feel special. right. Um, and and internally, we've talked a lot about tokens. Um, I mean, we've wavered. You know, the good thing about having three co-founders is that there's always one person at any given time that's got like a little bit of sanity. Like the other two may go crazy, but like they would have <laughs> wanted to keep us in check. Um, and so, you know, trick. I mean, God, I, I mean, we've had conversations about let's just switch to credit cards. I mean, literally we've had that conversation, you know, <laughs> and you're like, what the <laughs> F- what were thinking at the time? You know, yeah, but exactly. Like, you get, you get and it alternates or, too.
2: Like the two people yeah. who are for it tends to alternate. And there's yeah. like one of us is like, no, are you crazy? That's stupid, And we <laughs> like back off. And and then, yeah,
1: yeah. So that that's good. We have we have checks and balances internally. But like, yeah, no, we've thought about tokens. I mean, ultimately, I think it comes down to some true utility. Like if somebody comes along and, and proves that there's some way to like incentivize users to be on a platform more in a way that like doesn't just become like a shit show around speculation, that could be that could be interesting. I mean um the concept of having some kind of stable coin within the marketplace would be interesting because you know obviously we deal with a lot of volatility issues um you know that that's that's problematic for a lot of users like they don't understand why if they price something at ten dollars roughly you know at the time that the next week they got to come and adjust the price or like they, you know it's just it just makes the ux like a lot harder compared to legacy marketplaces and so having things that would solve that you could do Possibly through another token, but ultimately the the most paramount um, uh, You know thing that we want to come out of the project is to, for it to be secure Like we want people to feel like it's trustworthy and reliable and they can do things and right now Bitcoin is you know the head honcho there and yeah. um, You know people are free to use all other currencies to pay through Shapeshift. I know it kind of sucks and it's kludgy, but um, right now, you know I don't know how many people are on Dogecoin and really want to like buy stuff. It's probably really really small. I mean, Bitcoin is really really small. So, um, relative to like traditional marketplaces. So, sure. um, yeah, I mean, I, a lot of people don't like that answer. Um, like Charlie Lee kind of like called me out and was like, "You should take Litecoin cuz it will make everything better." And I'm like, "Yeah, it'll make yeah. Litecoin better." Um, <laughs> you know, and so we can get those pitches from every coin, but um I don't, I don't, yeah, I think in the future, we'd love to be coin agnostic and, and perhaps even someday we'll have our own token, but right now it's, it just doesn't seem uh, genuine for us to, to pursue that, at least what we're, with what we're trying to accomplish.
2: Yeah, yeah I know internally the culture within the, the founders and just the project in general has to make something that actually works first mm-hmm. before even considering any of these other things. I mean, sure, we've thought about tokens like like Brian said, but um, you know, I think within us, we have something to prove here. We believe that this marketplace can exist by itself and it needs to stand on its own merits, not because everybody's invested in a token, right? Either this idea is going to work or it's not going to work. And yeah. having a token is only going to delay the inevitable, so. Absolutely.
0: So this is a great answer. Yeah. So, um, so and, and you guys talked about, um, you know, altcoin integrations and stuff. So I know that you guys wrote, or uh, I think Chris Pashia, is that how you pronounce his name? Um, I know he wrote a, a, a GitHub uh, readme on basically how to integrate your your altcoin. Have you guys had um, any altcoins uh, submit pull requests to, um, with the proper stuff that they need to be able to integrate into open Bazaar? so far
1: um yeah i mean I, I i hate to throw anybody else under the under the bus but i think you see this a lot in the spaces that projects they like they're like you should integrate us and then you're like okay well here's the way you could do it you could help us and they're like no no, no we just wanted you to do it and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> like well, i mean why would i do that it's only well, going to help you out time. so um, yeah uh, you know i mean it could help us out but like we just explained the volume is probably low enough where it won't really help us more than it will help your coin get pumped when we announce that we're taking you. I mean, you saw that with like Alpha Bay and stuff, right? Like they'd be like, "Oh, we're taking Monero," and then it pump up, right? So that's what people are really looking for, I think, right now. Um, yeah, if people are willing to help, then yeah, we'll help them. I, I you know, we did design 2.0 in mind with um, multiple wallets to be supported. Like right now, we've actually gotten it somewhat working with Monero and I believe, or not Monero, sorry, Zcash. And because Litecoin is so similar, it would probably be really, really easy to plug that in. Um, you can actually run OpenBazaar 2.0 with uh, Bitcoin D rather than like our wallet, which is really cool. Um, and so it's, it's rather, you know, modular in that way. Um, we'd love it to be even more so, but, you know, the hard part is not really, it's not really that, it's like, they're each coin is kind of different and so you have to like handle those ux changes and and, and work and that would require a collaboration with us sure. and it's like we can't just do that for you like we don't have the bandwidth and the money and the time to go and just integrate your coin and every other 100 coins that are out there um sure. so it's it, it's a it's a you know we've provided like a little bit of a framework for people to start looking at it when they they show some interest we'll work with them awesome
0: and, and so I, I know you guys um, integrated with BTCD um, with the native wallet uh, Bitcoin suite. Um, can you guys talk about why you guys, because our developers from Decred, you know, uh, built that library huh? for that that implementation of Bitcoin. Uh, I'm just, you know, curious why you guys decided to go with BTCD over uh, Bitcoin D or others.
1: Um- well, I mean, I, I became familiar with BTCD, I think, through Let's Talk Bitcoin. I remember when it first started out, like, it was this idea to, to really build, like, a nice, clean, modular implementation of, of Bitcoin. I mean, at the time, we were using Lib Bitcoin, so we weren't looking to switch. But, um, you know, that concept has always been really nice, and I've always really heard great things about the code quality and, and the way that the product was managed. Um, but what ultimately drove the decision to, to move to BTCD was that um, we, we knew we wanted to switch to an SPV wallet and have something internal, like I up in version one, there is no real wallet. There's kind of like a, it's kind of a pass through thing, right? For the multi-sig, but it's not a true wallet. Um, it was and, and we were looking at options and then we were also switching to IPFS, which their main implementation was written in go. Um, and so, You know chris was like well, maybe we should just switch the whole code base to go and we'll just use btcd as the as the back end for the wallet and we'll use um, You know we can write a spv wallet on top of that really easily and then you know We have ipfs and everything will be nice and clean and, and be go and so You know that was that was an interesting call. I mean at the time, we were using Python and stuff, and, and everybody was familiar with that. And so, switching your in- entire code base to a new language is like a difficult decision. But I think ultimately, it's it's really paid off. And definitely, I think it's been a great, a really great option. Um, I think the team is is really really strong over at BTCD. And you know, I mean, I don't know a ton about Vcred. I haven't really had the time to delve into it, even if I wanted to. But um, you know. It's been it's been a really good thing, and we're really excited to to get 2.0 out. Like we're we're really, it's I think it's going to be way 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 better than than the first version.
3: Awesome. Yeah. on uh, On that note, can you talk about uh, give us an idea of like uh, how 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 is how is user adoption been for 1.0, and if you uh, run into any sort of friction points, and how you plan on addressing those in in uh, in the 2.0 release?
1: You want to take that, Washington
3: yeah so
2: initially when we launched um, 1.0, we had a pretty pretty amazing surge of people. We had like a couple of ten thousand like that 10,000 or so nodes come online and uh, that was that was really exciting and uh, immediately the the bugs fled and the <laughs> the, 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 the pain points started showing up um, and and over time as things kind of settled down and you know we were we were basically seeing something like 200, 300 stores staying up online 24-7. We immediately recognized where the pain points were. And it was around about that time when, you know, well, it was a little bit before that, but the technology for IPFS became much more mature and, you know, there was code available and, uh, and the, the call was made to say, look, we really need a build from the ground up to to solve some of these challenges. And these challenges were were, were quite straightforward. With 1.0, in order to have your store accessible to other users, you had to have your store running 24-7. So if you downloaded the application, you put on your laptop, you turned it on, and then you closed your laptop, that's it. Nobody could access your store. Uh, It wasn't shared or distributed anywhere else. So that was problem number one. And so because of that, you know, you had to have some kind of technical knowledge on how to deploy your node onto, like, DigitalOcean or some virtual private server. And then, like, the the requirements to actually sell on OpenBazaar just started going up and up and up. Uh, and clearly, it was just... There was something that we had to fix. Uh, and you know, we could either slave away at our own kind of implementation on, on Python and experience a lot of the, the pain... <laughs> that we didn't want to <laughs> experience or uh or we could switch to something that was you know ready ready to use and uh and it worked brilliantly so i think that was that was a major pain point uh second one the absence of a wallet was was also a problem because a lot of people who wanted to try out open Bizarre who weren't familiar with bitcoin they also had to go and find a wallet and then figure out how to use that and then you know, what a Bitcoin address is. And it was, it was a bit of a, I mean, that, a bit of a mess.
1: That was kind of a conscious decision though, on our part though. I mean, like as well, I mean, we realized that that was probably not a, a great option, but at the time we were trying to do, it was right for the community, which was that there are all these wallet builders, like pretty much all the main apps mm. were like wallets. So we're like, why, why do we want to like have yet another app, another wallet app, you know, like our own and have to maintain it and secure it and stuff. And so we were like, okay, well, we'll, let the wallets provide that service and we'll just tie it in. And that seemed reasonable at the time, but what happens is that it's not integrated enough, right? Like people just, like when you go to sell on eBay, you don't have to bring your own w- wallet, you know, to the service. Um, it's just, it kind of, and then you're asking people to jump out of their app and pay and come back and do all that. So yeah, in hindsight, that, be, that was, it was an honorable decision, but like not a great one for our users. Yeah.
2: Absolutely, and uh, I think a, a lot of other little little issues here and there. I think there wasn't a lot of robustness in, you know, connecting to your your node and the stability in the peer to peer network. Again, and that that was that was that would all be fixed by switching to IPFS, which was far more stable. And this was absolutely designed to overcome all of the major pain points that we were having. So it wasn't too long after release one point zero, and we started to see you know what the major pain points were like guys we really have to do it all in ipfs <laughs> <And> it's like <laughs> glad you're happy with 1.0 but damn we got to <laughs> we, we got to yeah. fix all this and and what we're doing with 2.0 um, even though it's taken us a bit of time a little bit longer than we expected it we feel it's really going to be worth it because all of those problems are solved, you know, connectivity problems gone, you know, you can create your store, put your listings up, close your laptop, turn off your phone, whatever, and it's still there
1: and uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're and, just
2: some of the, the amazing features.
1: And amazingly enough, I mean like even though we're kind of deprecating the 1.0 network, we're still seeing like user adoption double month over month which is yeah. kind oh. of crazy and um, I mean, it's not, it's still not like massive, it's not like we're getting a million users a month or anything, but like the fact that, you know, it seemed to be kind of plateauing and then now we're starting to get this renewed interest and it's like doubling which is showing that there's still like a really strong (laughs) desire to have this kind of capability. So I think once 2.0 comes out, um, yeah, it's going to give them a tool that they actually can use and like they won't feel like they're doing more work than they get out of it, (laughs) you know?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, and you have a, a mobile app coming out too, right? So two point is going to launch with a with a uh, uh, with a mobile capability too. Is that right? Yeah. yeah so wow.
1: Washington, Washington, drove that. Um, I'll let you talk, Washington, about it. But I just want to make sure that you know. I mean, I, the, the mobile app is is an Ob1 product, and and OpenBazaar desktop is like a completely different. Like they're two different things, and Washington can explain the nuances between that, but.
0: Well, one second, right before we get into the mobile app, and I know Washington's really excited about talking about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, for for all those users out there that don't know what IPFS means, uh, it means oh, right, inter, yeah. inter, interplanetary file system. Um, so maybe one of you guys can just give us like, a super low-level like explanation of, of what the hell IPFS is and why uh, OpenBazaar is going to benefit from that.
1: You want to take that, Washington? Now, can you
2: take that? Okay, sure. <laughs>
1: you take that? Yeah, um, <laughs> been talking for a while. <laughs> so, so IP, IPFS is uh, one of the projects that's uh, been created by Protocol Labs, um, uh, along with like Filecoin and a couple others, and basically it's a distributed file storage uh, system, peer-to-peer network, and so it uses a couple of other, other protocols underneath, uh, including like LibP2P, um, and the reason why that's interesting is because, you know, when you're building a peer-to-peer network and Bitcoin's included in this, you have to create your own peer-to-peer code, like like networking, punching through firewalls, like doing all these different things that are kind of really, really hard to do well. Um, you know, BitTorrent has their own P2P library and, you know, all these networks have it. Skype had their own. There was no real like state of the, you know, like best practice, Library on the network on the uh, on the internet for doing a peer-to-peer network, right? And this yeah. is kind of one of the first really great um, options um, Can you hold on one second? sorry? Sure. <laughs> uh, Washington. Can you can you wrap that up? Um, I have to step aside for one second. Sorry. sure So
2: Yeah, I mean like Brian was saying this is a distrib- uh, distributed file system, and I mean the, the the best part of it is is that You basically have a team of engineers working on IPFS that that's their job just to make sure that the data gets distributed correctly that the networking engine works correctly it's like this is something that we don't really have to worry about anymore we can really focus on you know the more marketplace you know the open Bizarre protocol side of things rather than you know making sure that we have stable connections between peers so I, at the end of the day it just means that Everything on the network is just much more robust.
1: Yeah. So, sorry about that, guys. Someone like just like banged on my hotel room door for no reason. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> Virginia Beach. What do you expect? Um. Anyway. Yeah. Good. So I hope that was a great explanation. I didn't hear it. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, you did a great job. So, and, and with IPFS, uh, do you guys expect uh, uh, less latency between nodes? Um, I mean, is the network as a whole going to be quicker?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, like, like I was saying before, um, you know, doing like things like hole punching. You know, if you're on a network that's like really tightened down, or you're on like a school network or something, like jumping through those firewalls and stuff, like it takes time to to, yeah. to make the connections between nodes. Um, Libp2p is just super fast. I mean, it's amazing. Like I, I'm on a, I was on an airplane testing it out. Using their crappy airplane Wi-Fi, and it was like fast. It was like unnoticeable wow. that it was much different. And so, yeah, it's it's really huge. And what's even cooler is that it also supports Tor. Um, and you know, Tor networks are like notorious for being super slow, mm-hmm. and it it runs pretty snappy. Like it's it's pretty it's pretty exciting. Um, it's going to be really awesome to see people using that. That's cool.
0: Um. So, okay, so with uh, OpenBazaar 2.0, it's, it sounds like the, the big things that are coming are IPFS integration, so people um, can run their stores without actually being connected to the network constantly, which is a big win. Uh, native wallet integration, and then also the ability to integrate Tor and, and ITP, right? So, I mean, are, there, are those, like, the big wins that we should be expecting from a, from a 2.0 launch?
1: Well, I2P is uh, conceptually could be supported, but we don't really have a wrapper for that yet. Um, Tor Tor is supported. Um, We actually, Chris actually wrote the Tor functionality for IPFS and like contributed back to them, so um, because we wanted to use it. And, uh, you know, I2P could be done too. But yeah, out of the box, like Tor will be supported. And the client is actually like Tor aware. So like, if you're running the Tor um, browser bundle or you're running the tour daemon on your computer um, for other reasons or whatever it will detect that and it will help you like uh, route your stuff through that it's pretty it's pretty simple to get it going we don't really have tour like tours not like integrated into openbazaar like if you download OpenBazaar it doesn't just have like I want to use tour you have to have <laughs> Tor an addition yeah. but um, compared to like setting up a store that supports like a tour hidden service and all these other things you got to do it's like Substantially easier and um, we're gonna probably have some like tutorials and guides and stuff on how to do it but um, Yeah, it's gonna be really exciting. I think those are like some really huge tent poles I mean people have been asking for tour support for a really really long time and I mean our product is really about Privacy and security of a marketplace. It's kind of hard to claim that when you can't even support some of these technologies So it's a really great hurdle to be able to get over finally
0: Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, okay, so we're, we should be expecting IPFS, Tor, native wall of support, and then uh, lastly is the mobile app. Um, so maybe Washington now can, you know, tell us a little more about what to expect for mobile on Tor. Yeah. I mean, want- on, on Mazar.
2: <laughs> oh, God, if we could have Tor on mobile, that'd be good. But uh, <laughs> uh, So, um, yeah, mobile took us completely by surprise. Uh, we were We had not planned it. Um, I was actually on my holidays, end of December. I, I like to save up and take a big chunk of, of holidays in December. And uh, and I think the day before my holidays started, I um, saw something on Product Hunt um, called JSONet, and it, it basically allowed you to make a, a mobile app without you know knowing a bunch of Swift or Objective C code uh, using this really nifty framework. And I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. Tinker with this, and so in spare time of my holidays, I was just tinkering around, tinkering around, just a, a simple remote control for the API uh, for the OpenBazaar server, and um, and then things just started to escalate from there. So by the end of the holidays, I came out of it going, "Huh, I think I could make a pretty cool prototype." And then towards the end of January, it became clear that okay, I think I can do something production for this and uh, then it was about April that we met up with the entire team and I kind of showed them what I'd done with mobile and how far along I was and, uh, you know, we we just made the decision that, okay, well, you know, this, this cost us nothing. <laughs> we we didn't have to, <laughs> to go and hire a bunch of, uh, you know, mobile devs to get this done, you know, um, and uh, we just started working on it, and we, we threw a little bit more resources, so it's not just me doing it, thank God. Um, and uh, we've been working on mobile. But the the vision behind mobile is a little bit different from desktop. I think the the desktop app is your fully-featured app. You have literally access to everything. You can run Tor, you can you can hook it up to another wallet if you want, you can run it on Zcash, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and that's fantastic. And the, the full decentralized experience is, is at your disposal on the on the desktop. The mobile app is something that Obi-Wan has made to make the OpenBazaar experience uh, a lot more um, fitting to what expectations are of a of a marketplace that you typically find. So there are some things that we do, like we do hosting for nodes, so you don't have to worry about you know downloading your node and putting it on a cloud if you wanna access something on, on your mobile. Not that you'd have to, but if you're going to do a mobile app, you have to talk to your node, and your node has to be somewhere. And uh, we don't have a, a binary to make it run on your, your mobile phone yet. So we're going to be doing hosting for you, so we're going to have the infrastructure for that. Um, and we do Obi-Wan search bundled in the app. We do a bunch of stuff that makes the experience uh, much more user-friendly. That's
3: awesome.
2: um, yeah, and I think the the design approach has been a little bit different too. It OpenBazaar, the the desktop you know has its own kind of design feel, and, and then the mobile is a little bit closer to a little bit Obi One design and branding. And I, I think more importantly, the the kind of vision behind the mobile app, um, you know, I've kind of hinted at it before, but it's kind of like WeChatifying cryptocurrency and. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there is a lot of commerce that takes place on, on WeChat because it has, you know, uh, uh, this wallet built in to, uh, in, into WeChat and that's completely revolutionized and transformed how society works in, in China. And, you know, they don't actually have an integrated marketplace within WeChat. They kind of do this weird web hybrid thing connecting to JD, I believe, or something like that. Hmm. Whereas I think this will be bringing Bitcoin, which doesn't have any of the restrictions that you see on WeChat, and it has the Marketplace protocol, the OpenBazaar protocol, directly built into it. And it will have chat, and it has it's going to have some social features, like, uh, on, on launch, it will have basic following and messaging, but then it's, uh, it's going to expand out and have some pretty nifty features. So it, it's very
3: exciting where we're going to be taking the mobile app. That's really cool. So users don't actually have to have a node running it. Well, I mean, they do have to have a node running, but they don't need to they don't need to download any software on on their like home desktop computer they can if all they own yeah. was like an android phone they could run a full business yes completely cool. now the, the something i want to
2: say here because obviously hosting nodes is like okay that doesn't that introduce a little bit of centralization like you're doing all the hosting infrastructure and and like that's a fair question to ask and we're certainly designing it in such a way where you know the things are going to be encrypted and you know, but I, I think it should. You know, we have to say at this point is that the hosting infrastructure that we're building is like the first step into like a two or three step process that we want to do. Eventually, we want to put the full node on the mobile app so that we can eliminate the hosting infrastructure, but that's just yeah. going to take a little bit more time and patience. And there's no reason to delay bringing a mobile experience yeah. to OpenBazaar because you know, we need to throw a few more engineers at, at bringing the whole thing on natively onto, onto mobile. So this is gonna be like our, our opening salvo into mobile, and uh, things are just gonna get better and better from there.
3: That's exciting. Is uh, there a bit any talk about doing um, uh, uh, essentially a full node implementation in, uh, in the web browser, like with using IPFS JS? Uh, so you don't have to download anything? Is that, is that um, feasible? Or are there security issues, or have you talked about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, right. I don't know if you were going to pass it off to me, but yeah. Um, yeah, 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 no, definitely. I mean, like that's that's kind of the ultimate idea. I mean, we we had a team retreat where we got together in in March uh, in person, and we were, sat down. and we We're like, look, you know, we want to do this mobile thing, and one of the things that people raised was like, well, this is not like fully decentralized, right? It's not full node in your phone. And you know we had to make the decision. Like, are we going to wait two years until that's actually like truly viable, or are we going to do something in the meantime to get people, you know, mm-hmm. still using it? Um, and you know, I think yeah, I think we're getting close to the point where we could build a full node in JavaScript on the you know on the phone. And ultimately, yeah. we may end up having to do that because um, you know we are somewhat putting the cart ahead of the horse by saying, oh, this this uncensored marketplace is going to get you know its app thrown onto the Apple app store and they're not going to take it off. <laughs> Who knows? Like maybe some people start selling some stuff that <laughs> they shouldn't be there. And we get ripped off the app store. I don't, we don't know that yet. Right? Like we don't know how that they're going to respond because they control that. And so we may be forced into a situation where we have to go back to the drawing board and start thinking of this as more of a, a web, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, perspective, but like, um, we have to try. And I think, um, you know, building a whole, like converting this all to JavaScript, it would be quite um, an endeavor. But it is kind of the future, and that's something we want to go after. So, um, cool. yeah, we're going to be starting that. You know, obviously, once we get two point oh out the door and we're happy with it, and it doesn't require one hundred fifty percent of our time, we're going to start looking at what what's next, and and that's clearly on the list. So that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: definitely. So, and and speaking of. Illegal selling illegal stuff and all that stuff. I know a lot of people are interested. I went in, from
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> um, We're going to talk about illegal stuff. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah. Uh, cheers, Brian. <laughs>
3: um,
0: so I mean, how do you guys pr- protect yourselves from becoming the next, you know, Ross Ulbricht or whatever, um, where the government's cracking down on you guys for writing code? Obviously, you're you're not probably centralizing it the way that they did, where they're actually being paid to have the stores and stuff. But um, do you guys have any fear in the back of your head about you know writing code that could be used to um, you know fund? The Only, a yeah. no <laughs> 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 Only a fool would
2: have no fear. Only a fool would have no fear. It, no, it's 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 very sobering. We take it very very seriously. Um, Ultimately, you know, we we've, we've said this a couple other times. We're writing code, and we're defining a protocol, and how people use that protocol. You know, I mean, just because you know you you sell something illegal online doesn't mean you go up and lock up the people who created TCP/IP or HTML or exactly. the IRC or anything like that. And this is no different whatsoever. Then I got it doesn't make any sense, uh, and there's no no clear association between the the developers, any one of the open source technologies that we're using to build the protocol, um, all of the the risk and all of the liability, we strongly believe falls onto the people who are actually selling goods that may be illegal in whatever jurisdiction that they fall under. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, if, if you're going to be selling something illegal, then you know it's no different than if you try to sell something illegal on Craigslist, which, by the way, is everywhere. You can yeah. just <laughs> even here in Australia, I hop onto Australian Craigslist and I see hundreds of listings for weed, and you know yeah. it's illegal here, and and, <laughs> and you know this is Craigslist. You know they can take it down; they have yeah. no excuse. And still, it's everywhere, uh, or Instagram, or any one of those things. Um, except that with open bazaar if they were to approach you know us and said you need to take this down from the network it's like well i'm sorry we can't take it down because it's not ours to take down we don't own it we don't host it um you know and and i think there's a, a little bit of nuance there in the sense that you know we're obviously providing a gateway server like you can access and browse aspects of the network without having to run a full node mm-hmm. and you know we can certainly not choose not to share certain content that we find you know offensive or you know is not legal for us to share because of the jurisdiction that the company is under mm-hmm. and uh, certainly for mobile for the hosting infrastructure that we have if you're doing something illegal or you're selling something illegal then we absolutely retain the right not to host your store anymore uh, and the OpenBazaar desktop app is there for you. If you, if that sucks for you, and you know wherever you are specifically, it is legal. But where we are, it's not legal. Then you can download the desktop app and then continue selling. Um, but yeah, you know that's that's kind of the approach.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, it's it's a situation of like we're always trying to be responsible for less. Like we're trying to give the users yeah. more control. Continually, whereas I think a lot of companies it's the opposite, right? It's like, well We'll give the users so much control at first so that they're like attracted to come to our platform And then as we like as they're hooked and they're stuck in our ecosystem Then we're gonna like lock them down and start like making their lives hell in our case It's more about like let's get you guys interested in this and then we'll like expand it as much as we can Like let's start to retain less control of this stuff And so, you know, uh, you know people may come out when we, when we drop the OB1 mobile app, they may say, Oh, they're know doing hosting and all that. And I'm just like, look, we would love to get rid of that as soon as possible. Like we are, con- yeah. we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to try and remove that business. Trust me. Like we don't want to be in that business. It's expensive because there's nothing more expensive than having lawyers tell you, Oh, you can't do that. And then you have to remedy it <laughs> like we do. Yeah. Um, and so you know it would be much better to be able to sit there and write open source code um and just like live that life so um you know i ultimately it's a backwards business model i mean i think like a lot of people might not like that like our investors may not like completely agree with that like i think conceptually they agree with the idea of free freedom of internet but like a lot of people don't understand what that really means right like it's disintermediating uh traditional marketplaces by taking away the only thing that makes you defensible as a business that's right that's a a really big pill to swallow Um, and and the second part of that is like trying to figure out like how do you make money in that new world but but we can't stop that new world from coming so it's either like you figure out how to do that and you and you end up being very happy or you just like get you know thrown away because someone's gonna eat (laughs) your lunch so yeah
2: so- and, and ultimately, I, I, I think we've, be- we've believed for the longest time that, you know, on when, when it comes to decentralized anything, any decentralized network, you can decentralize all the data that you want. You can decentralize as much as you can. Uh, and all you're doing is increasing the, the knowledge problem, which is the ability to ascertain what is going on in the network and where everything is. That's why BitTorrent, even though it's an incredibly successful protocol, it would be absolutely nowhere without Pirate Bay, or it would be absolutely nowhere without any one of the search providers that yeah. do tracking and they do crawling to see where all the content is. Exactly. And ultimately,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Google is the same. I mean, if you actually look at the internet, everybody's running their own server, it's kind of decentralized. But they actually point to where the content is. Ultimately, we, we see that that's where the value is. You know, you can push absolutely everything to the nth decentralized level, but comprehending where all the data is and delivering value on search and discovery is uh, is actually pretty defensible if you can be the best at it.
0: Yeah.
2: Awesome.
0: And, man, there's a couple. So. And, I uh, mean, we, we have so much stuff still to cover, so. Um, I, I don't care, though. I Like, I'm really fascinated by everything you guys are doing. So, um, you know, do you? there's a couple of things I want to dive into, but do you, do you think uh, Open Bazaar is going to be uh, really self-governing? Because um, there's a lot of things that I think people don't really have a problem with, you know, like selling certain goods online, even some services, but there's some things that probably, internally, a lot of people struggle with, like, human trafficking, and uh, th- things yeah, that, definitely. in my in my mind, are, are just evil at the core. Um, do, you, yeah. do you see Open Bazaar, uh, you know, attracting some of this sort of stuff? And, and if it if so, like, do you foresee the community being really self-governing about um, this sort of stuff? And, and I don't know.
1: I think, um, personally, I think that, like, a lot of that stuff is very, like, it seems... I I think because the media blows it up and it's such a controversial topic that like we feel like it's like this thing that's like so prevalent, but in reality, it's such a small niche kind of group of people that are doing these things and I think they stick together. So I think, you know, in, in the cases of like, like if for some reason, you know, some Influencer in those groups comes out and says hey, I'm using open Bazaar, like yeah maybe those guys start to move over to the platform because they kind of travel together and they do the things that they feel are like trustworthy enough to like Support what they're doing. I don't know if this is still on their radar You know like I think that they're still using traditional old-school technologies I mean we we thought originally when 1.0 would come out that these drug people would like switch over immediately because who wants to be on a marketplace that exit scams and does all these things and screws you over, but they still yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, even, even, uh, Gwern wrote like a whole bunch of work, you know, he'd studied dark markets and all this stuff. And you know, he's like, nobody cares. Like the exit scams are not a compelling reason to leave these marketplaces. Right. Um, yeah. it, it's hard to overcome network effects. And so I don't see it being a problem soon, but, um if it does move you know there are going to be like important things that we have to solve like how do we like originally our idea was around building these webs of trust where if i'm like a um like a child pornographer and i'm selling child porn you know obviously i'm not going to have like ratings and reviews towards that person because i've used their service right and then and the people that i associate with won't either and so it it kind of like naturally they get ostracized from the network because we don't have connections and so if there's some sort of technology where like those trust relationships kind of weed those people out or at least like kind of segregate them off to like some part of the network yeah that that's kind of self-policing right like you can make that happen um now that's easier said than done and it's something we've been like thinking about a lot i mean we invested some of uh open Bazaar donation money into a project called trust is risk which is um, doing some interesting stuff in, in that realm. And, and one of the people that, you know, and the person that heads that up Dionysus, um, he, he actually was um, one of the original people that kind of really helped open Bazaar get off the ground. Um, and he's leading that because he really feels like a reputation and identity and trust system on decentralized networks is super important. And we're hoping that's portable across other platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are a lot of other groups who are trying to work on this too. Um, I think, You know once we have that this will become less of a problem. I mean we see that on the internet, right? Like those guys are off in some corner of the web. They exist, but like when I'm searching Google I don't like run across these people like when I'm browsing Facebook I don't run across these people. They're like they are just like they are in real life. They are pariahs They exist you cannot get rid of them. They will never go away, but at least they're not part of mainstream society. And I think it will be the same way with Open Bazaar if we succeed. I don't see them like taking over the network in any way.
2: Yeah. No. And I think it's the responsibility of search providers for obi one and, um, and incidentally we didn't mention this, but in OpenBazaar Desktop you can obviously connect to obi one search, but you can also connect to other search engines. But I think it's ultimately the responsibility of, of search providers for the network to uh, filter out that sort of stuff that's unquestionably uh immoral. Yeah. Um I mean that that's yeah. It's no no question about it. And uh I know at least that that's what what we'll be doing. So
0: Awesome. Yeah. That that's really great to hear. Um so and then, you know, you guys also kind of touched upon um, you know, your investors aren't necessarily happy with uh, you know, I guess the hosting, or no, just certain things, but so I, I guess what I'm getting at is, what are like, what's Ob1's uh, business model? So, and and for all those that don't know, um, so Bazaar is, is built uh, primarily by a company called o- Ob1, which Brian and and uh, Washington uh, both founded. And um, you know, I, I guess you, you guys are kind of the sole company, but still, OpenBazaar is a platform that can be forked, and other people can. Turn the network, and and you guys still, you know, and have money, have investor, have money from investors, and you guys need to make money. Um, so, you know, what's what's the ultimate business model behind uh, behind Obi One?
1: I mean, a lot of our business model is developed pre ICOs and tokens, right? Or or at least <laughs> tokens weren't they weren't like seriously considered because sure. it was more like colored coins and a little bit of counterparty and stuff like that, right? Just toys. So. You know, but I still feel like it, um, our our approach holds water uh, substantially because you know the idea is that right now you have this idea that businesses have um, this like really really heavy core of technology, right? Like let's say Facebook, they have this platform, and 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 it, what happens is there's users at the edge, and they're pushing data into this core, into this silo, and they're storing more and more data, and it's like their their core gets bigger and more valuable as people pump more data into it, right? The more data they own, the more they know about their users, the more about they know about the world, they can sell it for advertising whatever. Well, now let's just deflate that whole core and take away all that data, and all you have left is like the technology and the protocol or like the, you know, the platform. Well, how do you how do you make revenue on that? You know, you can't like sell there's no data to sell. No one's going to buy the protocol, right? Well, that's where the token model comes in, right? If people say, oh, it's the protocol, we'll incentivize the, to- the protocol with a token, and then people want that. Our approach is you have the protocol and the, the platform, and that's not super important. Yeah, like what, what's important is that just like any other open source platform like Linux or whatever, the businesses that live on the edge that are making profit, they will help fund that protocol. They oh, will sure. feed the money in to drive that because they all they all mutually benefit from it right oh, if I'm course. a search engine on top of open bazaar I need open bazaar to get better or, or change in certain ways because my business depends on that mm-hmm. So sure. I will help feed that in I don't need a token to incentivize that I'm already making money from my customers that like incentivize me to make it better sure. um, and I have great ideas and creativity so that's our concept is like Obi-Wan is just one of these businesses in this outside ring of Open Bazaar that are going to help improve the protocol because we want to make money. We want to make our customers happy and delighted to use Obi-Wan mobile app or whatever it is. Um, and, and so that's ultimately our business model. now. It is important to actually have a protocol that works and a network that has users before you start generating revenue. That's usually how it works, right? Like, you can't. <laughs> just, <I'm> just, <laughs> yeah. just not not in crypto, though. <laughs> you yeah, just need a you know, token, yeah. man. You know, like uh, in Field of Dreams, he was able to build the field and, and they came, but like that's literally yeah. not how it works. Um,
0: I love that token
2: and corn token.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, that's our highest priority right now, but we're starting to move into the next phase, which is like, okay, what is Obi-Wan actually going to provide the market? And so we've got a search, like a search capability, we've got the mobile app, we've got a couple other things in the pipeline, and we're hoping that people will help find those uh, useful in order to operate on top of Uh OpenBazaar, just like the wallets and all these things uh, provide value to the Bitcoin network you know by being yeah. on top of it
3: and really that protocol is valuable right because uh, like on top of you're, you're essentially creating a protocol for decentralized trade and that can be a lot more than physical products so you could you could build you know a decentralized airbnb
1: or a decentralized uh, uber on, on the same protocol right oh yeah i mean washington how many little mini white papers did you write about like use <laughs> cases for this i mean he had auctions, he had, wow. you know, futures trading, all these different things that you could do on this platform. I mean, really, it just takes up the interest to actually make it happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, user experience and UI and stuff is super important too. Um, people don't want to use pieces of crap um, to, to, to do these things. But that conceptually, you know, any platform where you have makers and takers and, and, you know, you have that the security and the trust around it, you could do different things with it
2: yeah yeah hundred percent yeah look open Bazaar is supposed to be a protocol for trade, and that encompasses e commerce that encompasses securities financial transact- you know financial security transactions, auctions, you name it, anything can theoretically be supported. Uh, and just because it can be theoretically supported doesn't mean that it can be supported <laughs> in Open <Bazaar laughs> right now. It requires developers to come in there and contribute time to spec out exactly how the stuff will work and to actually commit code. And, you know, over the years, we can kind of pick it up now when people come into the protocol and they're like, hey, can you do this? I'm like, yeah, we can totally do that. Cool, do it. I'm like, well, no, you need to help us because we're like, we're building... It all for you already. You know we're building the the protocol and everything. But you know if you want to see, and this is the open challenge to anybody looking to do anything related to Open Bazaar. If you want something, you're going to have to go and do it. You know we're not going to make it for you because we're pretty damn busy building all of the essentials. But we'll absolutely help you if you are really interested in in contributing. But you know, sort of expecting us to do it all for you is, is absolutely not going to work
3: no no you awesome I was gonna say so I think we're we're close to segueing into opinions about the larger cryptocurrency space and, oh boy uh, yeah, 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 I think a good segue we could uh, one more question on on Open Bazaar that might help segue into that, and that is uh so for uh in the event that uh fees go up again um that really affects. Um, Open Bazaar and its users doing on-chain transactions. Um, so I guess the, the the question that could segue would be: uh, Does does Open Bazaar have any plans to um, implement or work the the Lightning Network into the protocol um, if fees get high? I guess we could start there. And um, uh, I think.
2: Look, I, I think the Lightning Network is very very fascinating. I, I really like the idea. Um, and whether or not fees go up, we're going to take the Lightning Network seriously as far as as thinking about how it will work in OpenBazaar. We've already had a little bit of discussion about how it, it could work. And there are definitely some wrinkles there, especially when it comes to having moderated transactions. So these are transactions between the buyer and the seller when you have a third-party moderator who is like the backup... Tie breaking vote if there's some sort of a dispute. Uh, All of that becomes very, very complex, Mm -hmm. especially in a multi hop Lightning Network channel. Uh, And not only do you need to have, you know, pre signed transactions for scenarios where everything goes right, you also need to have pre signed transactions for every possible disputed outcome. Mm -hmm. And so the complexity. Just gets pretty enormous.
3: Uh,
2: It it's not an easy problem to solve. It will it will take some time. But hey, the Lightning Network doesn't really. It's not really in production yet, so it's nothing we have to worry about in the immediate future. I mean, even though you know, Litecoin has got SegWit, it hasn't had this. um, You know lightning network nirvana there it doesn't even have much transaction volume to begin with but you know it's it's still it's still not anything that is on our immediate radar so i think it's likely that when the lightning network does come online in a more serious way probably on litecoin first and then on bitcoin within you know a year or so then then we'll probably start to take it You know more seriously and and think about integrating it into the protocol that's my thoughts at least but one thing that absolutely needs to be said because literally everyone is figuratively everybody is uh is overlooking this but lightning network channels require on-chain transactions
3: that's right
2: and if the fees are super high for on-chain transactions then it's just not going to make sense for Mm -hmm. people to open Lightning Network channels. They're going to look at the upfront cost for opening a channel. And yeah, it's just going to disqualify a lot of people.
1: We've already seen this movie played out, right? Like, I mean, this is what Coinbase does, right? They've got 2 million wallets or whatever, more than that probably. And those people are all sending Bitcoin to each other for like nothing really. Like if I send... Bitcoin to you as another Coinbase user, it doesn't cost anything, right? Because they have their own off-chain protocol um, and this will be the same thing. But except that, uh, you know, you're going to pass on that on-chain transaction, you're going to have to deal with that. And, and now Coinbase is doing that, right? Like the price goes up, they're like, oh, now the fees are your issue. Like yes. you enjoyed that for a long time, this uh, nirvana of like off-chain transactions that were free, but that's going away. It's not going to be any different. Um, I think Lightning is interesting in, in microtransaction uh, perspectives. Like, um, if if Open mm. for instance, wanted to do like streaming video or uh-huh. like Spotify, that yeah, would be really definitely. cool because yeah. then you could open a channel and it would make sense. You know, you could do like a monthly channel and the, the on-chain fee maybe it's not that big of a deal. Um, there's a lot of use cases where it's really fascinating. I mean, I I, I like the Lightning team. Um, I think it's a shame that yeah uh, that Joseph and Taj don't really work there anymore and that that their team is going but I know that uh, you know roast beef and and uh, yeah and Elizabeth are, are still c- carrying that on and then Blockstream's also working on it I think it's gonna be great but there's a lot of stuff that's yep. going on that's that's interesting I mean that's not the only scaling um, solution that that is fascinating I mean I really love what Paul Storch is doing with DriveChain I think that that's that's super underappreciated mm-hmm. um you know he's the kind of guy that doesn't um, he's not super ostentatious about how he presents his his work and I think it's he gets a lot of like harsh criticism that's probably unfair but you know this is the bitcoin space pretty cutthroat um there's a lot of interesting projects going on I I don't know what's gonna I don't think there's any one panacea for like what we're experiencing and that's why um I think that's a big reason why we put a lot of our effort behind the Segwit2x stuff is that you know it's not the perfect solution, but it's a solution that actually can get executed, that the market will accept, that can push mm-hmm. forward. And I think, th- and sometimes that's important to just get through the log jam and like say, yeah. okay, we live to fight another day. It's not ideal for everybody involved, but we just move forward. And some people are not willing to like accept that, but you know, ultimately the market speaks and you have to just kind of go with it. So if, if UASF works out or something else, I mean, Open Bazaar is plenty willing to work with the outcome and, and keep going. We're not going to rage quit and move to Dogecoin.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so, and you know, I think that's an excellent segue into our next uh, few topics, which, you know, we're going to talk about Bitcoin and um, all sorts of good stuff. So, I mean, what do you guys think is the biggest issue in Bitcoin right now?
2: Not enough
1: white papers. <laughs> um, or tokens. I mean, yeah, definitely I,
2: not enough tokens.
1: The red herring is like the scaling debate, but for me, I think a lot of it is the pressure and the uh, distraction that like the ICOs and stuff bring to the whole space. Um and the reason I say that is because you know, regulatory uh pushback is is something that happens in a delayed fashion, like Um, like right now we're not seeing anything. We're like, Oh, these tokens are great and everything. But my sense is that they're going to catch up and they're going to start, and they're going to come with some vengeance and it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be nice. And all these people that kind of like shifted their entire roadmaps to kind of support this model are going to find themselves in like a really, really distressing, um, situation. So we're sort of like the exchanges having to move out of New York and all this stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's going to be a pain in the ass. Um when we could be focusing on things that are more important um, and and ultimately, I see that as being a drag on something like Bitcoin, which is avoiding that that mess just because we're kind of similar things. Um, and so I see that as more of the the longer term problem that we're facing and we need to be more proactive about encouraging these projects to be real and encouraging users to like do research and understand that and build frameworks around this where like they can understand it. I'm not saying necessarily regulatory compliance. Like I don't like, um, Krista Rose recently put an article out on, I don't know if it was like the, I can't remember where he published it, but like he was saying, regulators should come and like bust these ICO guys and and, and regulate them. And I think, um, I, I normally don't agree with him and I certainly don't agree with that, but I think it was an interesting kind of, um, it was kind of almost sarcasm, you know, it was like, it was, it was satirical in a way. It was like, you guys should come do this because somebody needs to be an adult in the room. And I get that. And it's like, it, it was almost more of like a wake up call to the crypto community to say, would you rather have them regulating us and telling us what to do? Or can we get together and start thinking like, okay, we're being idiots right now. Yeah. Like literally, are we really in a place where like uh, ICO raises $150 million from anybody around the world, takes it, they dump it back into fiat, the price of ether drops, and then they go on Twitter and brag, oh, hey, at least we protected ourselves by going back into fiat. I'm like, oh,
3: no. What? <laughs> like, what world like, are we living in?
1: Like, it, like and, and everybody's dead. like, golf clap for these guys. Like, they did a good job. You, it's like what
0: Man, I hate them so much
1: <laughs> um, it just doesn't make any sense to me and 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 I think um, some sanity is gonna get restored in the future so that that's my answer but you know scaling is important obviously but I think I think that's more of like a, a political infight over like who has control over a certain source code and and that's the bigger thing that's going on but um, yeah I don't know Washington <laughs> so <it's like> really- <laughs>
2: Um what do I think the biggest issue in the Bitcoin community is right now? I think I I agree. The red herring is scaling, but there's a fundamental, fundamental disagreement over the vision of what Bitcoin is that we, we have a, we have one big family. That's not happy. Half, um let's let 's just try and be fair and half and half is split down the middle half of them want to stay small and you know the other half wants to actually you know scale well no let let me be much much fairer Both sides want to scale both sides want to scale, but they have different trade offs that they 're prepared to accept um and let's let's not assume any maliciousness on either party, and let's just assume that that is genuinely what they want. Then, when you have this kind of disagreement, you can't. It, it's it's gonna it's gonna split. I, I don't see how we can. I, I don't see how Bitcoin can keep on going like this, because let me tell you something. Let's say SegWit is activated and yay everybody's happy everybody's uh, you know everybody's rejoicing but then we have the hard fork in three to six months I don't know mm-hmm. whatever the, the time ends up being um, and we're just going to kick the can down the road and we're gonna have a massive fight over there mm-hmm. uh, but let's say Bitcoin core supporters or supporters of the the uh, of that particular vision of scaling, let's just say by some miracle that they, they like the idea and that they participate with a hard fork. Well, okay, it's a year later and blocks are full again and we're right back to where we started. Um, I just don't see how this community can stay together. I think the, the differences are irreconcilable. No. Uh, I, I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong, but I, I don't see how we can stay together.
3: Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. It seems to be a very deep, almost a philosophical difference in, in, yes. in what is most important about Bitcoin. And uh, it does seem that ultimately it's irreconcilable. I, uh, we haven't had, you know, we lived in peace for many years until the scaling became, sort of put the pressure on. Yeah, um, and Segwit, you know, two X, if it if that works out, that that could buy us some time. But ultimately, uh, yeah, uh, those those are really irreconcilable, like uh, philosophical beliefs. And I think they both have merit, and it, and it may be fine. It would be yeah. sad to see this community split, but um, I, I think they they both really do have merit. And if they do split, I think both chains will provide very different but
1: very real value uh, to the world. I think there's such that's a right. it's such a sad situation too that mm. each side characterizes the other as like this hostile party because you know I mean yeah. I, personally um you know like the the small block side will say like oh you know these companies and miners are trying to corporatize Bitcoin and you know they're trying to sacrifice privacy and security and all this stuff of the network by by doing these things and um you know I, I just don't buy that because if you look at the history of these businesses, they they were all founded by people that were just like them. That like started out with this as a vision. I mean, come on, Obi-Wan is corporatizing Bitcoin. We're 10 people, you know, like (laughs) get the hell out of here, man. Like four of them, five of them are programmers. I mean, come on, corporatize. We got one marketing person. Yeah. She's going to undo all this, you know? So, it's kind of silly, but like it works, it it works really well to like, and then, you know, and then the big blockers, you know, like, Oh, the core devs, they're, they're holding these escrow time-locked funds and they're just trying to protect their, their money. And, and they just don't want anybody to be a part of the development process. I mean, I don't think so. I think, I think these are a bunch of really, really bright people that they want this thing to keep going. They want the value to stay up. They want to keep going. They have this vision of like IT nerds taking over the world because we knew what was money and and everybody else didn't see it. And and I and I believe in that vision too. And so we should be working together. That's why I'm in SegWit 2X. I'm not in it to like (laughs) screw over other people. I'm in SegWit 2X because I think it will help us move forward. Now Washington may have seen the future and say like, oh, this is destined for a split. I'm still holding on to this idea that like maybe this will open people's eyes to say hey look You know what the august 1st deadline went by everything was smooth We all work together. We figured it out and and to be honest. I know what I know the the core people can can argue Forever about this, but I'm starting to see them contribute on the btc1 repo. They're giving feedback to the code They're trying to fix this and fix that and here's a defect and like they're like participating I never saw that in Bitcoin uh, Unlimited. I never saw yeah, that definitely. in uh, you know any of these other products because they know that this is it. This is going to happen, and either they can help fix it and, and then we can move on, or or you know they can let it fall and they're going to all suffer. So that's the market is speaking now. That doesn't mean that the hard fork in November or October or wherever oh. it's supposed to happen is going to be peaceful. Yeah. I think it's going to be a clusterfuck, and yeah. that may be where Washington's <laughs> uh, future telling actually occurs. Like that may be the time where they're like, okay, this is enough. We're not gonna, we're not gonna help out on this, and it splits. And I think a lot of people are willing to do that, but um you're starting to see the cracks a little bit in people's resolve. I mean, the fact that like Greg Maxwell pissed off all the core developers and like disagreed with them, just that happening, like yeah. when would you have imagined that in the last three years? <laughs> Holy shit, he was like their Sherpa. Now he's like. <laughs> You know, now, 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 they're fighting, and Luke Junior is leading his religious, you know, thing through uh, through Bitcoin. So I, I don't know. I, I think um, ultimately all those UASF hats get shipped to Africa to the poor kids. It becomes a non-event, and God. like, you know, this is just it's just stupid. I don't know why we're fighting about this. Like, let's just help us help us go forward and, and move on.
2: Yeah oh. my my distinct hope out of all of this is that you know at the end of the day I I can't I I just cannot believe the the core developers and and people who subscribe to that particular vision really see any problem with 2 megabyte blocks I mean really come on guys no, no. the the hard fork process is absolutely you know, it, it's tricky and needs to be navigated. But to say that, oh, you know, everybody's not ready and there's not consensus, that's bullcrap. Absolute bullcrap. You know, you talk to, to anybody in the space who, you know, runs a business serving customers on Bitcoin, they've been ready for two years to, to go for it. I mean, there's just, you know, that I, I, I've invented a little term. It's called, um, oh God, it's, called the cryptographer's sharpshooter problem. That's when you draw a circle around a bunch of developers and cryptographers and call that consensus, <laughs> right? It's a, it's a play off the Texan sharpshooter fallacy, you know, where, you know, shoots a bunch of stuff into the wall, draws a circle and go, wow, I'm really accurate. And like, well, you can't draw a circle around, you know, yourselves and say, look, we don't have consensus when the rest of the board is filled with mm-hmm. you know a supermajority. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my yeah. what I'm trying to say here is that my my hope and my goal is that you know SegWit 2X is successful in activating SegWit even though I don't think it's necessarily the most perfect solution. I think it's it's a it's a decent compromise if it's atomically coupled with um with a hard fork, I think that was critical. That this is what what kicked everything off. Yeah. If that is successful, and and I, I really don't believe that the core developers will set fire to the to the protocol and chuck a rage quit or or spearhead a fork just to two megabyte blocks, especially when you know Litecoin and all these other different cryptocurrencies have you know different properties, which you know effectively have larger block sizes and it's not an yeah. issue for them. Yeah. Uh and especially when you have people like Gun Sirer, men and, and Sirer, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I'm sorry, man. Uh when he publishes a, a paper demonstrating that anywhere up to 4 megabyte blocks are completely safe and that's an old study.
1: He also so he also I, did I say bitcoin was going to fail. So Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Take little, that was that was a long time search. before. With a grain of salt, though that that is the ultimate. Yes. do your own research.
2: <laughs> but but I think his, his study was very very good, and ever since you know he's, he's done incredible work in Bitcoin. But my point is is that two megabyte blocks are literally not the end of the world, even if you subscribe to their point of view. Yeah. Um. So what we what what are we doing with SegWit 2x? We're buying time. We're buying time. To test out the hypotheses that the Lightning Network will substantially reduce on-chain fees. Sure. All right, I, I don't think it will, but let's test it out. Let's get some data. Let's get some evidence. We're buying time for Schnorr signatures to be deployed. Um, will it have a major effect? Will have some effect. It's not. You know, I disagree with Adam back. It's not a scaling solution. It's an efficiency. A really nice efficiency and it does enable some cool new features. It's not a scaling solution. It doesn't take us up an order of magnitude, like several orders of magnitude, that's scaling. Um, You know, we're also buying time for masks and anything else that anybody else can come up with until we have to consider hard forking again because on-chain fees are escalating. But this is where I come back to my my earlier statement, where I think the, the differences are irreconcilable because One side is perfectly fine with on-chain fees being up to twenty bucks, hundred bucks. They don't have an issue with that. They they don't see that Bitcoin is supposed to be used as e cash. All right. They they see it as some sort of settlement network and Bitgold and all this other all this other stuff that I disagree with. And the other side does see it as e cash and you cannot have a payment network that serves the world, you can't even have a settlement network that serves the world with on-chain fees that are five, 10, 20 bucks. So, sure. I, I think unless there's some incredible discovery, some kind of protocol, some kind of technology that is discovered that allows us to to scale up uh, you know, while reducing on-chain oh.
1: fees. You well, know, I wonder I wonder, yeah. I wonder if, if, if actually these people that support uh, Bitcoin being a gold, a digital gold, if we take away the use cases of gambling, drugs, and speculation, will they agree that this is still a valuable e- e- digital gold? Because yeah. I guarantee you that people that are saying that they don't need an open bazaar, they don't need a social network with Bitcoin. They don't need all these other little apps on top of Bitcoin. I wonder if they actually take away the ability to use it as gambling, drugs, or speculation, if they still feel that way, because ultimately these things affect that as well definitely
3: I think they would that's my sense is that they would um but yeah this comes down to that 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 core difference in philosophy and 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 i really do think there are values to both sides like there really is i see i really see a value i mean everyone can see a value to really cheap on chain fees for everyone in the world obviously um but i i do think that there is also a value in having a, a even if not everyone can use it Having a, a a chain that everyone can verify. Uh, yep. And, there are, that's but, very, and if you can't have both, there are people who will who will choose one as being more important than the other. And I really see value in both. If 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 the big blockers and small blockers do fork Bitcoin and there do end up being two long-term, forever chains, I will invest in both because I see value in both. I really do. Yeah. Well, I and, mean, and I. It's all so an experiment. Hold on. Hold on.
0: So, I mean, isn't it, isn't it, but like at the heart of it. The big issue, like I, I think we can all agree on, is Bitcoin has problems making decisions. Like to me, to me, that that is the problem. Like we cannot come to consensus because we have miners that are running the network that are basically they they are incentivized to act in a certain way for themselves. Of course. And and we don't have a mechanism for offering for offering a form of governance for the network.
1: Unfortunately, in- I think we're.
0: And, and And it only takes five percent of the mining network to downvote anything right now. I mean, if you need ninety five ninety cons- five percent consensus, that's great to make a change. But the problem with it, you only need five percent to vote something down too so yeah,
1: but that's also self that's also self set I mean we don't have to make yeah. the threshold ninety five percent secondly, you know I think the bat the worst part about this is that I think the miners really benefit regardless of outcome. <laughs> <laughs> which makes it even more perverted because they don't give a fuck whether it goes one way or the other and they can play with us. And so I think there is this situation where they like play both sides against each other. It's a lot like little kids and their parents, you know, they ask daddy if he can do something and then he says no. And they go and ask mommy and she says yes. And then they get their way. Right. Like they can always like play both parties against each other and, and, and having met the miners and and also the Cordes, which over the last year i've like really made a concerted effort to like try and understand both sides and talk to people in person and stuff um you know we uh, washington and i had lunch with jihan and his and you know some of his colleagues you know like i just think all these guys are trying to do what's best for them and if that means playing games or or supporting this today and supporting that tomorrow they all do it and so this is a huge, massive experiment in game theory. Um, it's it's fascinating. Uh, to be honest, I know people get upset, but you know what? I don't have like five million dollars of my net worth tied up in Bitcoin. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I have a business, but yeah. you know, I mean, life goes on if it doesn't work out. And you know, we we're doing this because we ultimately believe in what's going on, and 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 it's it's all new territory for everybody. So,
0: but I mean, like at the end of the day. After, so after we get through this, um, you know, two megabyte block, SegWit, after we get SegWit activated, however it unfolds, we're always going to have this problem with Bitcoin. Like, you're always going to have contentious debates. Like, no matter what the change is, if it's going to be to add privacy, like, you know, th- there's a million different ways. I mean, you know, there's several uh, plausible ways to add privacy. There's going to be contentious debates on that. There's gonna be contentious debates on like handling almost any decision that the network needs to be made. So to me, but you build I mean,
1: off of things like what you guys are doing with like proof of stake and stuff is like, um, you know, you're like I know the preamble to the show. You talked about some, there was some change and you guys made it with a hard fork and like it seemed to be working. And I think it's the same way with Bitcoin. Like it doesn't necessarily always have to be like one technology over another. What it is is it's small small accomplishments that people build on top of like if segment sure. 2x works out or let's say uasf works out then the people they go okay that's a model we can follow like ethereum did the same thing right they hard forked this whole thing with the dow and they solved the problem and they moved on their community doesn't give two shits about the fact that like the bitcoiners think that like ethereum is a blah blah, blah blah is a scam and then they like rewrote sure. the chain they don't care they're just doing their thing and Bitcoin can do the same thing. We can get through SegWit 2x. We can just put our tails between our legs and move on. And, and then when the next thing comes up, we can say, "Hey, you know what? Miners, businesses, core devs, we didn't like it, but we did it and we survived. And we just maybe we can do something similar, or we can, you know, we didn't like this or that about it, and we fix it and we move on." All these projects are doing the same kind of thing. And you know, we can criticize proof of stake. We can criticize proof of work. We can do all these different things. None of these are perfect. Yeah. We have to figure out what's the best combination. And yep. the next ten years, maybe, you know, a decade from now, we'll be like, well, ultimately this was the thing we should have done or that was the thing we should have done. But we're all we have to all be trying these different things. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'll never find out what really, really works. Sure. You don't want to die of a theory. Basically. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you know, and I guess this brings me to one of my questions. Is I know you got to leave soon, Brian, but um, it sounds like you you know we we've talked a little bit about what Decred is doing, and I'm you know wondering you know based on what you guys do know, um, and and I can dive into a little more detail. But what what are your opinions on what the Decred project is doing?
1: Go ahead, Washington. <laughs> uh, well,
2: okay, the. I don't really know that much about about Decred, uh, apart from my Twitter feed, <laughs> that a lot of people are very are very supportive of it. Um, from what I what I've heard, it has a, a unique approach to governance, um, and I think that, on principle, that's wonderful. I, I think we need more of these experiments. I think we, you know, th- there's just too much bullcrap. Yeah. Too, uh, like when I say this, there's too many white papers. I mean it, there's too many <laughs> white papers. People need to start building stuff and need to start testing stuff. So, I tell you what, if Bitcoin crashes and burns, or Ethereum crashes and burns, or any one of these cryptocurrencies crashes and burns, there's going to be a postmortem and they're going to figure out, okay, what went wrong? How can we fix it? You know, and you know you can either wait for that postmortem report or you can have a bunch of other different experiments running in the background and see what survives and i think that that's that's a great approach
3: yeah.
2: and uh you know i one thing i i re- had really hoped for bitcoin was the ability you know this is this is an old bitcoin maximalism argument but you know bitcoin will always be the dominant uh <laughs> yeah. you know cryptocurrency because uh, you know, any new innovation that is created on some other altcoin can be integrated into Bitcoin. Well, we can't even increase the bloody block size to yeah, 2 megabytes. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt yeah. any other innovation. Yeah. Well, it's the same reason why Zcash exists, right? Yeah. There was no chance that we're going to get that protocol integrated sure. into Bitcoin. Yep. No no way. It's, 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 it's not going to happen. It's much, as cool as it could be. Now, okay, of course. There's the question about extension blocks or side chains or federated side chains or blah blah blah. None of that stuff really exists anymore. I like, guess it may be coded, but it's not in the hands of users anymore. And if it's not in the hands of users, it does not exist. Um, so I think running these experiments where users actually have it in their hands is brilliant because that way we all learn. Yeah. We can we can have these, you know, if nothing else, huge bug bounties for mm-hmm. all of these different ideas. So, yeah, I'm very supportive. Awesome.
0: And so, you know, I guess you guys aren't too knowledgeable what's going going on with the Decred network, but what they've essentially built is a way to take your your tokens, your Decred tokens or or Bitcoin, and and it's forked off of BTCD, which they built, but they provide a way that you lock up your funds for up to 142 days. So Mm -hmm. you should receive your funds back within like 28 days, but it could take up to 140 days. 142 days and what happens is you get the ability to vote on the on the validity of the next block and on top of that you also get to set vote bits which can which can dictate the future of the protocol so by doing that what they've essentially done is, is built a method that provides a sense of governance for the users and to me like the bitcoin core devs ultimately want this form of governance like, Luke Dash Jr. just released this stupid Coinbase, uh, you know, Sybil resistant attack bullshit. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like that just takes, you know, any Coinbase user, they could hold Ethereum or Litecoin, they don't have to hold Bitcoin, and then be able to vote, you know, on what people want in, in, in the network. And what this does is take users that actually have funds in Decred and provide them a method of voting on proposals and voting on the future of the protocol. And to me, like, that is, like, a really fundamental thing that that's why i become really bullish on the project because, to me, the project can always move forward. Like, when our privacy stuff comes out, and it, you know, and in the next few months, we're going to have a vote on it. And people are going to say yes or they're going to say no. And if they say no, we're going to, you know, it's if they say yes, it's great and we integrate it. If they say no then we move on and we try to figure out a way to make it better but we don't get into these year-long debates where we're arguing over nonsense and and to me like that at the heart of bitcoin is the biggest issue and i don't foresee like you were saying washington like adding bigger blocks like is already a fucking like total pain in the ass like you're not (laughs) going to be able to add the technology or the mechanisms that the network needs to carry on so in, in my opinion, I think that having more currencies is a good thing and you know, certain currencies are gonna own certain parts of the network and it's gonna benefit everybody. And in my opinion, I think Bitcoin should be that reserve currency. And I'm, 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 I'm like more supportive that nothing happens and that Bitcoin proves to be this thing that is impossible to change. And maybe that is a good thing.
1: Yeah, there is a, there is a certain contingency of people that feel that way about about Bitcoin as well I mean status quo is it's not the worst possible thing that could happen I mean we we are still trading it and it's still valuable right now whether the block size is bigger or not um, I, I mean my biggest my biggest concern about any other project in the space right now is that they have not seen the popularity and the volume and the scale that Bitcoin has and so for any of the of these projects no matter how well thought out that they seem to claim, oh, this Mm -hmm. is going to fix everything. It's kind of dubious because they just haven't, they haven't been field tested. And uh, that's kind of a, it's kind of a a shitty way to like, uh, defend Bitcoin. Uh, but it's true. I mean, Ethereum has, has, has wildly surpassed my expectations for them. I really, if I had thought that they were great, I would have invested when they first came out and I didn't, um, But, you know, they've been able to do a a bunch of things that, like, you know, you can criticize them for, but, like, they did it, and they did what they said. Um, And so, you know, all these things are going to be valuable uh, in certain ways, and a lot of them are going to die and move on, but we take the best of what what, uh, these things all bring, and we move on. Like, uh, MySpace, you know, had, like, interesting innovations that Facebook and these other platforms, you know, adopted. Same with, uh, you know, Friendster. All these technologies build upon each other. That's what's so great sure. about technology sure. to begin with, right? It's the evolution. Like, you can pretend to say, oh, hey, Google's going to last forever. But I guarantee you within the next, like, 30, 40 years, Google is going to probably be gone or it's going to be, let, like, diminished in what it does. And there'll be some other new thing that comes out that uh, does what they're doing better, which is mm-hmm. the way it is. And um, you know it's going to be the same with these coins. I wouldn't be surprised if in ten years Bitcoin isn't Bitcoin anymore. It's maybe a lesser coin, and something else has taken its place. But uh, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the process.
3: Yeah, yeah stuff moves fast. Andreas Antonopoulos he says, uh, "You you can't have scaling problems until you have scale." <laughs> sure, <Yeah. laughs> it's a really good point. Like it's really easy to sort of point to Bitcoin and say, like, oh, that community is uh, garbage. Ours, ours would have it. Ours would make a much easier work of these things. Um, but you don't really know until you face it. In fact, I think, uh, I, I suspect that the big, uh, and the, going way out on a limb, but that's where the best fruit is, right? That uh, if you would see that uh, the biggest increase in a decred price would happen, not now when everyone's getting along, but when there's a really contentious issue and it's resolved quickly with your um, uh, with the with the on-chain voting mechanism. And if that happens, then you then you really prove this like real value. Um, it's uh, it's it's working now. Uh, but but the real like the problem that you that that the Decred is trying to solve is the governance problem. Mm-hmm. And you don't really know. You haven't taken the final exam whether or not it's going to work. Until you actually solve a real nasty political issue with it, and when that yep. happens,
1: if it works, that's going to be huge. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so if if they're able to accomplish that, you know, then they become a a model example of how to do something. And you know, like Ethereum had a chance with the hard fork to, in my opinion, to say, you know what, these people lost all this money in the DAO, and sorry, but like the sanctity of the protocol is more valuable than that. And they, they passed on that, and they chose. They said this is this is the way our chain works. So now we can't use that as a beacon. I don't think. Um, sure. uh, and chains that feel that they have those principles in mind, like protection of user funds, regardless of you know whatever the network is in charge of, you know maybe they see that as a model. Like oh, the hard fork wasn't that bad. If we lose all these people's funds, we'll just return it by forking the chain and doing this. But others look at it as they antithesis of what they do. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally look forward to seeing more of these things, and and, it, and it's not it's not like we haven't we've learned a lot from other platforms. Um, what's acceptable? I mean, to be honest, people complain about the hard fork of Ethereum, but. It wasn't, it wasn't that horrible. I mean, ETH classic exists and you know what, in some ways there's two factions that believe in two different types of Ethereum and they're doing their own thing and there's no fights between those people anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, Washington's split concept with the Bitcoin may happen. Maybe there'll be like a Bitcoin that goes off and does its own thing. And there's an eCash and they both coexist and they're happy. Yeah. I I don't know. Perhaps that is the way it works. And then everybody will be like, "Ah, they're just like Ethereum, you know? (laughs) so
2: ultimately i think that these are these sorts of things are the way they're supposed to be resolved sure you know all right um well okay so we're gonna have to wrap up but
0: um yeah well i I guess one thing i just wanted to finish on uh so the vote that we actually had was actually really contentious within Uh, the
1: really
0: interesting so um so (laughs) the, the my, I know Brian has to leave uh, just to give me like one or two minutes but miners
3: <laughs>
0: themselves um th- were not representative of our com- of our community at all because uh the, the, people, because, that uh, stakeholding the people that were stakeholder had like ninety two ninety three percent um you know proof for um, you know, for voting through that change on the on the block. So, so like I do argue that we had actually a very contentious vote, wow, nice. but it didn't feel contentious because the stakeholders are the ones that care about our protocol. Mm-hmm. And uh, most people don't may or may not know this, but um, so there's actually dual mining between Ethereum and DCR. And and my prediction is that most of the people that are mining DCR are just constantly dumping it on the market. So we don't, we, don't have, have, we don't have we don't have the mining the mining, the mining community, community that that I have to mute you, Brian. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, we we don't have the mining community necessarily that that Bitcoin does. But what I do feel is that the this the solution that the Decred team has built is extremely elegant. It solves fifty one percent attacks problems. We already have mining networks that have fifty one percent, and they can't. They can't control the network because the stakeholders sign sign off on every block so um, you know I, I think as the decred network becomes more popular there's going to become more contentious debates that happen and as we continue to grow in size like I think it's going to be really interesting to see how we evolve versus some of the other projects yeah um, and
3: seeing how I, fast you, you're, you're and smoothly your community resolves the uh, those those contentious debates'll we'll really start we'll, over and over again set examples for uh, good government so prove to people it works yeah and
0: and the and one of the last things I want to add is it's incredibly difficult to like set up a stake so the people that we attract that are stakeholders are very knowledgeable in our community so that that's another thing that we're trying to make stakeholding really easy but at the same time I'm like maybe we shouldn't because the people that do hold our currency are Really really involved in everything that's going on. So I mean, they're probably the people that are watching right now You know some of our larger stakeholders um, And and they're gonna go back and you know watch this video and, and learn everything about what we're doing. So um, Yeah, so all right Well, uh, we're gonna wrap this up and I really want to thank uh, the Open Bazaar guys Brian and Washington for coming on the show It's it's yeah. so awesome. to Have you guys on the show? I'm really excited about everything you guys are doing uh, I'm gonna you know push our developers now to somehow try to work with you guys and integrate decred uh as much as you may or may not like that but um, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, you yeah, uh, yeah. know yeah awesome
3: <laughs> so uh, do you guys have an uh, a release date oh yeah, oh yeah yeah yeah
1: we don't have an official release date but we're aiming for um uh, last two weeks of august sometime around there because Um, I think we'll probably be ready before that, but we just wanted to give a cushion after the whole August 1st um, debacle to see how things shape up. So um, We're just kind of putting a little cushion there, but yeah, like um, pretty soon. We're going to be releasing the um, the first full feature complete uh, alpha release and You know the next month or so is going to be just like testing the crap out of it to make sure it's ready for release But I mean everything that's pretty much in there Um, We're ready to roll. Right
0: awesome. So, all right. Well, I just want to thank all of our viewers out there, people that watch the show later. Uh, thank you so much for joining in and file it. And lastly, I'm just going to give a quick plug to Crypto Graffiti, who uh, made this shirt that I'm wearing today. If you guys want to buy this shirt that I was wearing in the show today, you can go to cryptograffiti.com/slash merchandise and get, get your Decred Cred Head shirt. So,
3: <laughs> awesome.
0: <laughs> so, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining in on the show, and uh, we'll see you guys next week, hopefully. All right.
3: Take care. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you.